May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. How many times uh, do we use or hear the word love? And how many times uh, is the meaning of that word nuanced? Many meanings, many different applications, and oftentimes even the use of the word love can be loaded with agendas and and things like that to get what we want. Or maybe we will use it to describe some of the things that I really love. In fact, uh, for, for Christmas, I got a nice pellet smoker. I, I try to cook everything I can on that, except pancakes don't work so well, because if you pour the batter on that, well, you, you know what happens. Uh, so I, I don't cook pancakes on, on the grill. Even though smoked pancakes they, they taste kind of delicious, and I am going to try smoked brisket uh, again, because I did that the first time. didn't quite give it enough time. I really need to give it a good 15 hours in order for it to have all that yummy bark on it, and for it to be juicy and succulent and pork tender. So... How many of you really love brisket? I, I do. How many of you love bacon? Oh my. I, I can have bacon on pretty much anything. And I especially love bacon with pancakes. Okay, so these are some of the things I love very, very much. But, but that's not the same thing as saying that, that I love my wife, Tracy, or that I love my children, because then love takes on a deeper meaning, because I would give my very lives to protect them because I love them so much. So, so now we have all of a sudden a, a deeper meaning. And of course, a lot of times when we use that word love in the English, there are some other synonyms that we could use, which would include passion, which would include affection, adoration, or even fondness, or like a good movie that you saw and loved, or a good book that you read and loved. So what we're gonna talk about today is what our epistle <laughs> says about love. And we heard in the King James the use of the word charity. That's how we read it in the King James. But in the Greek language, the Greek word for that is agape. Okay, so that's going to be our entire focus today on what is agape love. Well, what does it mean? Well, it's above all else. It is a stance or attitude which shows itself in acts of the will or in our regard, respect, and concern for the welfare of others. It is therefore profoundly Christ-like because he modeled it, because the cross is the ultimate example of the Lord Jesus Christ who placed the welfare of others above the interests of himself, namely our redemption. And a good example of that would be what we read in 1 St. John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Therefore, agape, that agape love is the quality which distinctively imprints eternity in each and every one of us in our hearts, where the regard and respect for one another and for others dominates the character of our lives in Christ and in our communion with one another. 
And when I talk about communion with one another, we can say that about the Eucharist, which we celebrate every Sunday, but also even in our fellowship with one another, because I will never let go of that deep desire in my heart that we be a community of believers that exudes love for one another. So, so that it is so contagious that those outside of our walls will look at us and say, wow, what's different about them? Let's go check it out. And of course, we need to be intentional about how we go out and meet those people to bring them into our community. But today, we're going to actually see in our epistle passage what this love should look like within the context of our community as we grow in grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the knowledge of and practice of God's holy word. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and turn to our epistle today, which is found on page 122 of the prayer book, if you're following along that way. Our text for today is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I will begin with the first three verses. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. So how often have we heard that very same passage read at weddings? It, it almost seems like every wedding we, we would go to, we're, we're, going, we're going to hear either all or most of that particular passage. But yet during that wedding, how long or how often do we actually truly grasp its implications and applications? Because I guarantee you, for that couple, for that bride and the groom, if they pay particular attention uh, to that epistle passage and, and applied what it means, then you know I, I would submit that we would reduce the, the divorce rate considerably rather than the 50 percentile or maybe higher that it is today. In these first three verses, the apostle points out that exercising spiritual gifts or even works of mercy and martyrdom itself is of no personal benefit whatsoever without love. And why is that exactly? Well, a couple of reasons. Number one, exercising gifts without love does not have the building up of the body of Christ in mind. It typically would have self-serving motives. Because how often maybe have we experienced in ministry where somebody maybe had a tendency to be all about themselves? You know, and, and I'm just going to tell you straight up, none of this is about me. None of it. You know, I'm 100% all about serving the Lord and serving you, the people of God. And we should have that very same mindset together that we serve the Lord Jesus Christ and that we are obedient to the Great Commission. Because what, what do we want to do? We want to carry out his ministry of reconciliation, but we cannot do that if our priorities are, are askew. So again, first priority, 
love the Lord with all that we are. Second priority, love our neighbor as ourselves. Because the very essence of love is placing the needs of others first. And quite often, we do that sacrificially. Yet, how often do we act selfishly? Secondly, love is the essence of the law, which we heard in the summary of the law today. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So agape love, what it ought to be doing as the Holy Spirit empowers us is to lead us to obedience, to obedient lives before the Lord because it shifts the focus from us to Christ and from us to others out of reverence for God and also I will add to that mutual respect for for one another as children of God. Therefore, agape love is essential for obedience to God's law and for building up of the body of Christ, which also serves as our identification as his disciples. Because after all, a couple of places. Number one, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. But also secondly, if you love one another, then the whole world will know that you are my disciples. And we see that in St. John's Gospel, chapter 13, verses 34 through 35. So then we read on. Let's pick up on verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act becomingly. It does not seek its own. Is not provoked. Does not take into account the wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. So this passage, passage, it shows us a couple of things. Number one, what love is, but also what it is not. Let's talk about with, with the first attribute. Love is patient. It's not only about the disposition toward one another, but oftentimes timing that matters. And the phrase uh, could also be translated remains patient or waits patiently. And I will admit, (laughs) this is something that I'm having to learn. And, And God is continually giving me opportunities to learn patience. I'm growing. I'm not there yet. I'm getting better. I mean, but when we think about remaining patient or waiting patiently, this includes forbearing with one another in in all the faults that each and every one of us has. But it's also having the right sense of timing in lovingly addressing them because it's not always the right time to to bring up an issue. Love, according to St. Paul, waits patiently, not only because it deals patiently with the loved one, but also because it recognizes that the right timing plays a huge part in securing the welfare of others. Love does not barge in. The Corinthians, on the other hand, were all too ready to jump the gun, both in their assumptions about St. Paul as well as the other ministers. 
You know, as we would read in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, if you want to look that up later. And also even in acknowledging their own successes that we read in that same chapter, but verse 8. And like I say, <laughs> uh, this especially is convicting to me because I do have a lot of problem solving this bivocationally in, in my day job because my day job keeps me so busy I'm always hopping. I'm always going somewhere. You know, I hate the idea of miss, missing Shrove Tuesday and Ash Wednesday. But the commanding general, he didn't check with me to see what my schedule was before issuing the order. So I got to fly out this, uh, this, this week. So I can learn a lot of things uh, in all of this because that can be a good thing. And of course, I love my job. But that same approach can sometimes cause problems relationally because I'm a big time problem solver at work. I'm always eager to solve problems that soldiers bring to me because my desire is to fix the issue. So how many of you like to fix things? I'm one of those who likes to fix anything. And, and, and unfortunately, when you're only tool is a hammer, then everything seems to be a nail, right? So you got to be careful which tool that you use, because unfortunately, whenever I try to fix the issue at home or, or in relationships, I can be rather self-serving in my motives. So how many of you have ever found yourself in a place where your desire to fix the issue was more self-serving than anything? I'm guilty of that. You know, I can be rather self-serving in my motives. You see, agape love, it actually shifts the focus to others and tempers the timing of the response, waiting on God to work in the situation and in his timing. Okay, that works whether it's in relationships and family, in particular relationships in church, and pretty much everywhere. We just have to be learn to be patient, right? You know, we can't always fix everything nor should we, we try to. Let's talk about kindness. Kindness, in contrast to just merely being nice, also considers others' needs before our own. And it suggests the warm, generous welcome that the Christian extends to brothers and sisters doing the utmost to be thoughtful, helpful, and kind and always in a pleasant way, and it confirms the element of dignity, the dignity and worth of the individual as it relates to agape love. In other words, when we love in a way that demonstrates regard and respect and concern for the welfare and dignity of others, we cannot help but to be kind. And that's something that... Um, I think that if, if more Christians in the church of God practiced kindness, I think that too would also be attractive to the world around us because I've seen more people who would never darken the church of a door again because of the way that they were hurt. And it's heartbreaking because I have first personal friends who fall into that category. And uh, in fact, in some cases, one particular individual gave up his faith altogether. Okay, now he's responsible for himself. 
Okay, but, but how often do we cause someone to stub, stumble when we fail to be kind? Okay, so something that I've been looking into and I'm trying to learn a lot about is the deconstruction movement. I don't know if you would call it a movement, but, uh, but, but some would say it doesn't always uh, result in full-on atheism. In some cases it has, but there are people who are literally trying to take apart um, some of the pain that they experienced over time. I don't fully understand it, but I'm trying to understand it. And I have one friend in particular who actually thanked me for, for being kind and patient and not pushy. You know, because if we want to bring people into the church, it needs to be an environment that, in, that exudes loving kindness. I don't want to belabor, belabor the point anymore because the one, I will, one thing I will say about kindness is remember the kindness of our Lord, which leads to repentance. Okay, it is the kindness of the Lord that led us all to repentance and faith. And we read about that in St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 2, verse 4. But also, too, kindness reflects an attitude of caring for one another in a way that engenders trust and lets others know that we truly care for them. What I'm trying to say is this, is that this church should be a safe place. Now, it doesn't mean that you're not going to hear something from the pulpit that might be convicting because it comes out of the word of God. OK, so sometimes people are going to be upset by, by, by that. But, but even when, when we proclaim the truth, the truth of God's word, how do we do it? We do it in love. We speak the truth in love and we res, uh, leave all the results up to God. In contrast, love is not jealous. It does not brag. It is not arrogant. In other words, what St. Paul saying is that we should not be full of ourselves uh, because St. Paul wrote earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, which reads, For you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? This jealousy, which carried over from a status-seeking, non-Christian Corinthian culture, they transitioned from that into the church of God, still with baggage. (laughs) But they are called to be saints, not just spiritual people, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. And the way that they behaved themselves in their fleshly conduct was absolutely incompatible with agape love, which never begrudges the status and honor of another, but delights in it for the sake of others. Because as I've said before, quite often, that the ground is absolutely level at the foot of the cross. So as we love one another, we rejoice in the gifts that we all bring into ministry. Because he's given each of us for service to use for the equipping of the saints and for the building up of the body of Christ for his service. And to that end, everyone is important because everyone has a gift. Now, if you're not sure what yours is or how you fit in, come see me. I'd be more than happy to talk about it because one of the, one of the things I said in the very, very beginning is that this mission isn't going to make it if it's all, all up to me. 
Okay, I can't do it alone. We all need to work and serve together and love one another in the process and sacramental community because it's Christ's church. So every instance of envy, boasting, and arrogance simply means that we're being full of ourselves rather than full of the love of Christ. So if any of us struggle with that, repent and turn to Christ in faith. So these are the things that he can absolutely work on in each and every one of us as we struggle or if we struggle with that. All right, let's look at, uh, pick up now with uh, verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. And when I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. St. Paul closes this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, reminds us all to grow into maturity, to walk in faith, in the hope of eternal life, keeping in mind that the greatest attribute is agape love which truly puts the needs of others before our own. As we grow in this area, we will look attractive to the world around us that desperately needs that love found in our sacramental community, in a world full of hate. And we're seeing hatred on full display right now, halfway around the world, and even in our own culture. It seems like hate seems to be the the predominant attribute. Let's flip the script. Let's make it all about love, agape love, and that begins with each and every one of us where we experience the ultimate love in the Lord Jesus Christ, especially as we partake of his body and his blood during the Eucharist, as we receive it by faith. So let's pray for the Holy Spirit to, to grow us as we grow in, in our discipline, in humility and love as we prepare for Lent on Ash Wednesday. And may agape love shape our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes to the glory of God. Amen? And we say these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than 